in a series right now, seeing the glory of God, not only back in Jesus' birth, but today, seeing the glory of God. And we're also part of this exciting week, this meaningful week, is gathering together on Friday. For many people, it's their favorite gathering of the year. When we come together, we sing those songs of praise, Christmas worship songs. We also have the kids come forward, and then we hear the word, and we also have candles this Friday, 2, 4, and 6. And I want to encourage you, you know, to come, but also to think about who you might invite. Because one invitation can make all the difference in someone's story and in their journey. And I haven't done the research, but those who have, they clearly point out that Christmas Eve is the one time of the year, more than any other time, where people will say yes if they're invited to come hear about God's love. And we all have an opportunity, friends, co-workers, neighbors, praying this week, and then taking some risks, some relational risks, and inviting people. And what would God do this Christmas Eve as we gather together Friday night? How is he going to show his goodness and his glory together? So let's participate. Participate. Let's love our neighbors, and that includes caring for them, and let's invite them this week as well. Uh, this series, Seeing the Glory of God, we are in the book of Hebrews today, and Hebrews chapter 1. If you brought a Bible or you want to find that on your phone, it sounds like it's in the Old Testament, but actually it's one of the New Testament letters. And this is a very significant letter. We're going to take a look at the very beginning, because in the Bible there's many glimpses at the birth of Jesus. And here is one in Hebrews chapter 1 that's unique. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you as we hear stories, as we experience your touch, your presence, the way you transform our lives, our attitudes, our relationships. We stop to give you thanks and praise today. We worship you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you so much for sending your Son, Jesus. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, comforting, guiding, convicting. Lord, we want to grow today, grow in our faith, grow together. And our eyes are on you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. As we approach the birth of Jesus and Christmas together, we want to focus on the greatness of Jesus. Now, when you think about challenges, we all have some pretty big challenges in our life. Amen. And we also have 99 smaller challenges. Amen. And here's the two extremes we want to avoid. We don't want to magnify our challenges and we don't want to deny our challenges. Those are traps. If we try to live in denial and stuff everything and live a fake life or a double life, it's not fulfilling. If we are consumed by the challenges around us, we end up stressed out and we end up kind of mean to people we love, like we don't want to go there. So when we see the greatness of Jesus, our problems, they fall in place in our lives. And in fact, we know that God does his greatest work in the middle of those challenges in those dark times that God redeems and challenges can become opportunities and Jesus brings a hope that's greater than our challenges. So we look to Jesus in the middle of the challenges and focus on the greatness of God. In the book of Hebrews, this is a letter that's possibly written by Paul. There's some debates over that. Uh, some people think it's the 14th letter that he wrote in the New Testament. But more important than the authorship, we know God is the author of the Bible and the Holy Spirit speaks through different people. The recipients, now at the time, they faced a growing list of challenges. And maybe your challenges are more now than at the start of the year. They had a growing list of challenges and the temptation in those challenges was to shrink back in their faith. 
Have you ever felt that, like something didn't go your way, a dream was crushed, someone was you know, treating you in a way that was mean, and the challenges, maybe even persecution for your faith, and when those start to stack up, do you ever feel tempted to just shrink back in your faith? That's where the people were as they were receiving this letter. And this letter is to build them up and right away talking about the greatness of Jesus. Now, when we talk about our faith and we talk about the Bible at the foundation, this is a relationship, not religion. If you came here looking for religion, you, you came to the wrong place because this is a relationship with the living God. And at the core of this relationship is something called the gospel, which means good news. And it's about the greatness of Jesus. That's at the core of our faith together. Now, his great love, the greatest love, you are made in God's image, and God brings a perfect love. He loves you long before you ever love God. And not only that, but this great forgiveness, because all of us miss the mark. That's what sin means, miss the mark. We all need forgiveness. We fall short of God's glory, and God's forgiveness is so great. In fact, his grace is greater than our sin. And this great grace, it's a gift, and it's not earned. It's not through performance or doing the rituals just perfect so God will love you. No, this is a grace that invades our lives and transforms our soul. It's not law that changes our heart and minds. It's the grace of God. And not only this grace, it was done through a great sacrifice. The, the penalty of sin was paid for. It was paid for by Jesus, a substitute in our place on the cross and this great forgiveness is offered to us, this great sacrifice, because love includes sacrifice. And it points to a great faithfulness, that Jesus is faithful. All his promises are true. And he is the rock of our lives. All of this is the greatness of God and the gospel. Yes, it's for coming to know Jesus, but it's also for every day of our lives central to who we are and how we respond to every situation. The greatness of God, that we would have a fresh vision of the greatness of God so that we would want to grow in our faith. The greatness of Jesus produces a desire for us to grow in our faith. And what does growing in our faith look like? Well, think of these three components. First of all, this is a relationship. So growing in our faith means growing in trust. All relationships, it comes down to trust. The more we trust Jesus... That decision right there, your confidence in God and in his word, it'll shape everything in your life. So if we're going to grow in our faith, we grow in trust and confidence. A second part is that we grow in character. Because the closer we walk with Jesus, the more we become like Jesus. And we start to say and do things that look like him and a character that look like his. Our character has changed. Your character won't change if you stay far away from the Lord. But when you draw near to the Lord... God changes us in deep ways from the inside out. And that leads to a third component, not just trusting, not just our character, but then on mission, loving our neighbors, God's purpose for our lives. We step into that in all three that go together. You can't just separate one like, you know, I'm going to live for God, but not be close to God. Or, you know, I'm going to be close to God, but I don't think I'm really going to love my neighbors. Like you can't separate this. It's the fullness of growing in our faith. And I encourage you to not settle for less than the fullness of growing in your faith, trusting Jesus, growing in your character to be more like Christ, and being on mission to love your neighbors, not just locally, but globally as well. That's where this letter comes in. That's where the birth of Christ comes in. And when we think about this passage today, it's a springboard. It brings hope. It brings joy. It brings vision. It brings direction for our lives. 
And we're going to look at just the first nine verses in Hebrews chapter 1. And we have three parts to this message. Now, the first part is the revelation of Jesus because God wants us to know him. He already knows us. He wants us to know him. So he reveals himself. Now, the second part uh, is the superiority of Jesus. We live in a culture that's trying to push Jesus down. And this is a passage that lifts up the superiority of Jesus. And with seeing his greatness, who he is, then the third part is the throne, the throne of Jesus. You're invited to come near and this throne of Jesus. Let's take a look at these three together, starting at the revelation of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times in his various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. God communicates this revelation. It's seen, it's heard. God makes himself known in so many creative ways. You look up at the stars, you look at the beauty in the Pacific Northwest, shows his power and his presence. You look in the word, your, your mind is engaged. There are so many ways God speaks through people, circumstances, and very clearly here, God spoke through the prophets. The Bible, it contains many of uh, the sayings and the teachings of the prophets that came from God. Amos points it out this way. He says that surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. The prophets were people who listened to God and then spoke his word. And God spoke through so many different prophets as you look through the Bible. And I did some research this week and I want to unpack some of this information about the prophets. Now there's over a hundred prophecies in the Old Testament. That's before Christ was born. Listen, Jesus always existed. He was always God, but he was born, both fully God and fully human, about 2,000 years ago. Before his birth, what we celebrate as Christmas, for hundreds of years, there was a long list of prophecies. And in the Old Testament, there's over 100 prophecies looking ahead, pointing to Jesus. Now, what were the, some of the specific prophecies about his birth? First, he would be born of a virgin. Look at Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. You might think this is a familiar Christmas verse. I want you to think about it through the prophets. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. Can you imagine hearing that there's going to be a virgin birth and then having the courage to proclaim it, that it's coming? There's only going to be one in all of history, but it's coming. This is hundreds of years before the virgin birth. What other specifics? Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. That's Micah chapter 5, hundreds of years before, naming the city where he'll be born. He's the son of God, Psalm 2, the Messiah. Now, when it comes to descendants and lineage, this is very important, and it's probably more important in the Jewish culture than it is uh, sometimes in a Gentile culture, but very specifically, Jesus would be Abraham's seed, Genesis 22, from the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49, there's 12 tribes. This is a specific tribe. Isaiah's lineage, Isaiah chapter 11, and David's descendants, Jeremiah 23. In other words, if someone claims to be the Messiah, but they're not in David's lineage, Isaiah, Abraham's seed, tribe of Judah, there's no way they're not the Messiah. In addition to that, Isaiah chapter 40, 
Jesus' birth, there's going to be a forerunner, John the Baptist, who will be announcing his birth, just like it was played out through John the Baptist. And you put these different points together. And why would God communicate this way, make himself known and reveal himself this way? Why would he bring historically so much evidence? And why would he do it hundreds of years before in a way that you can't deny if you have intellectual integrity? Uh, Why would he do it this way? I think he wants us to know deep down that he has a plan, that he is good, and that we can trust him. In addition to that, I think he knows sometimes we doubt, sometimes we worry, and sometimes we just get scared and we kind of shrink back in our faith. And this is to build confidence in God, in who he is, his plan. He's with us. He's good. And we want to grow in our faith as we hear this. Now, what other prophecies? I want to mention these because these are significant as well. Jesus would begin in Galilee, and then he would heal those who are Lyme, blind and deaf, which he did. He would teach in parables. That's how Jesus taught. He would enter Jerusalem on a donkey, the triumphant entry just before the crucifixion. He would come on a donkey. No person would come up with this. The king of kings and lord of lords rides into town on a donkey, and Jesus would name the prophecies. This is to fulfill the prophecy, and he would say it out loud so clearly for people, because sometimes we need over a hundred reminders, and sometimes we need it this clear. And then he was betrayed by a friend. Well, you say a lot of people are betrayed by friends, but specifically it was written it would be for 30 pieces of silver, and then the money would be thrown back into the house of God, just like Judas threw the silver back in the house of God. Killed for our sins and iniquities, rejected and hated for no reason, he was sinless. His bones would not be broken on the cross. Usually the bones would be broken. Not a bone was broken for Jesus, fulfilling prophecy. And then he was crucified with criminals, two thieves. One of the thieves at the very end of his life turned to the Lord. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. The two thieves. And then Jesus would die for our sins, rise from the dead, which he has, ascend into heaven, which he has, and then he's going to return personally, visibly, with glory in the clouds. That hasn't happened yet. You didn't miss that last year. That one hasn't happened yet. But don't you kind of think if God's been faithful with hundreds of prophecies in the Bible that the remaining prophecies that are coming are also going to be true? If God hasn't missed one, doesn't that grow confidence? Don't we know that Jesus is going to return and it's going to be visible as the King of kings and Lord of lords in glory in the sky? And I look forward to seeing this glory, this return. This is the blessed hope we look forward to. Wouldn't you say that it's also probably worth some of our time and energy to focus on the prophecy and to know what the Bible says? It's kind of important as we go through end time stuff to know what is God promised about what is yet to come. And then live with that hope and with that confidence as well. Now, there were a lot of, through the prophets, partial pieces, fragments that were spoken. Revelation comes in full with the Son and the Messiah. A full, final revelation through Jesus Christ. And I encourage you to spend time listening to God's Word and spend time listening to the Holy Spirit. Spend time listening to Jesus, your Good Shepherd. The Holy Spirit and the Word of God always line up together like railroad tracks. 
Now I'll tell you, there's a lot of voices in our culture. There's a lot of noise, but there's one voice that's more important than every voice in your life. It's the voice of Jesus. And we need wisdom from above. We don't just need a whole bunch more earthly opinions and earthly perspectives and a whole bunch more noise. No, we need the voice from above. We need the voice that's reliable, the voice that's full of love. And sheep need the good shepherd. We need his voice. And I encourage you to to tune in to his voice. And let me challenge you. If you're someone who says, well, I've already read the Bible a few times. I think I know it. I know what Jesus says. Well, what about listening in a fresh way? Could it be that there's actually a lot of things Jesus has said that are not really being received by you? Let me challenge you this way. If Jesus is always backing up your opinion, your perspective, your preferences, your fill in the blank, if Jesus is just there to kind of endorse whatever you want to do and think about doing and feel about doing, if Jesus is always backing that up and perfectly aligns with everything you think and want, could it be that we've created idols and it's not really who Jesus is? Could it be that Jesus is far more countercultural than we realize, that he's far bolder than we realize, that he's far more humble than we are? Could it be that we need to hear his voice in a fresh way, shatter some of those idols about who we made Jesus to be, and just let him speak? We read the Bible. His voice carries a lot of glory and a lot of weight. And I think we've all lived long enough to know that we shouldn't in life weigh all voices equal. All voices are not equal. Let's think about marriage. I so appreciate my wife. Now, sometimes she'll call and Lori will text during the day. Now, I want to be receptive to that. Sometimes I'm still a sinner and my phone is off and and I don't pick up those messages, right? Just confessing. But her voice is important to me. Uh, I love all y'all, as they would say in Texas. I don't know why I didn't plan to come out. I, I love all of you, but her voice carries more significance than your voice. I'm more interested in what she says than what you say, to be honest. Uh, and, And I'm not saying I got marriage down, I'm learning, growing, but all voices are not equal in our lives. And Jesus is speaking, he's revealing, he's making things known, and you need to turn off some of those other voices in your life so you can hone in on the one voice that really matters with a fresh revelation and a fresh word from the Lord. That's God's revelation. It leads to the superiority of Jesus. Now, again, in Hebrews chapter one, starting in verse two, we reiterate, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I've become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Let all the angels worship Jesus. When you think about the superiority of Jesus, it's not subtle in the Bible. 
It's not sometimes he's superior or in some ways he's superior or with some religious leaders he's superior. No, John the Baptist said, may Jesus increase, they may I decrease. The superiority of Jesus, sometimes we push Jesus down in our lives to the second, the fourth, the seventh place or priority. But here in the Bible, and I'll tell you in heaven, it's clear and it's compelling and it's compassionate that Jesus is the King of Kings and he's the Lord of Lords. And no one can take away that name. No one can take away that title. No one can change that truth. Now, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, uh, what a great passage, an introduction to start to learn more about him and consider following him. For all of us, this is a great passage for growing deeper in our faith. And the language that God uses here, I'm gonna highlight seven significant statements in those verses that we just read. Now, the first one, Jesus is the heir of all things. How many people here are the firstborn in the family? Just curious, a lot of firstborns at Grace, we do. We've got a lot of firstborns. Would you agree if you're a firstborn that sometimes there's a little extra responsibility as a firstborn? And sometimes there might even be some extra privileges, but that responsibility that you feel uh, in the Jewish culture, all of that was heightened. And the firstborn actually received a special inheritance. So when we talk about the heir and the firstborn, the inheritance that Jesus receives, God's estate, if you want to think of it that way, Jesus receives as the heir, and this will blow your mind, the Bible says that we're co-heirs, that we also get to partake and participate in this great heavenly inheritance. Jesus is the heir, the heir of all things. Second, he made the universe. Now think about the things you've made in your life. Maybe there's been some pretty significant things that you've made. That was God working through you, your talents and creativity, but maybe you've made a few things. Now think of God's ability to create, his creating power. What we see that he made the universe, his creative power. By contrast, I struggle just to make my bed each day right? That, that's kind of a challenge just to make my bed. I'm having some fun with some comparisons in this section. Uh, he makes the universe. And then also he's the radiance of God's glory. It's been said many times with the physical sun that gives us warmth that we would enjoy seeing a little more of this time of year. Uh, with the physical sun, it's been said you cannot separate the brilliance from the sun. You can't say, oh, here's the sun over here. And oh, look, the brilliance is way over there. You can't separate the brilliance from the sun and Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. Also, the fourth piece, the exact representation of his being. Jesus is God. Throughout history, people have tried to undermine that. Jesus is God. He's equal with the Father. Does he submit to the Father? Yes, he does. But that doesn't mean that he's not God. Within the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there is submission. There is humility. There is unity. There is perfect community. There is perfect trust. But again, uh, Jesus, he is God, the exact representation of his being. With Jesus, we can lay eyes on God. He always existed. Jesus, self-existent. But about 2,000 years ago, God in a body and the unseen, because none of us have ever seen Father God, but the unseen becomes the seen as people hear and see Jesus, both fully God and fully human. Also, Jesus holds our lives and the world 
in his hands. The reason your heart just beat again is because Jesus sustains you. The reason you just took another breath is that Jesus sustains you. You're not doing this on your own strength. There's a God in this universe who sustains by his grace for a short time for us down here on earth, but he also invites us into an eternity with him. His sustaining power. There were false gods like Atlas. Maybe you think of that picture where he's got the world on his shoulders. Some of us are trying to do an Atlas impression in our life right now. We're trying to carry the whole world on our shoulders. Well, there's actually a God that you can give your burdens to, and, and he carries the world. Not stressed out in his shoulders, but, but one who is strong, one who is able, one who is trustworthy. And the more you have a vision of the greatness of Jesus in this role, the more you can release and have his peace and trust him. Now, when you think about um, him holding everything together, him sustaining, think about the challenges in our lives. Um, one thing I've been trying to figure out is how many gallons of milk to buy when I'm in the store. It used to be two, now it's three Parental decision, do I go to four? I, I'm just, I'm going to the store more and more and, and I, during the week to get more milk, more milk. And I, I, I've got to say, I mean, I know it's kind of small, but when do you go from three to four? When do you buy a cow instead of just buy more milk? Maybe some parents who have done some research on this. I'm interested. Got to make a decision. But this, it's a challenge just to keep the right food in the refrigerator and just the milk alone and keep, make sure there's enough milk. Like I'm trying to sustain that. God is sustaining everybody right now and and he never sleeps and uh he's powerful he's mighty he is the source not only that but he provides purification from sin no sin is too big that jesus can't forgive some people have a view that he forgives the small the medium and a few of the large but not the extra large and I'm telling you, Jesus forgives the 4XL, whatever number you want to put on that, the sins in your life that you're not sure if he'll forgive. His grace is greater than our sin. His blood purchased us, included the full forgiveness, not just for a year or two years, but for eternity, all our sins forgiven. That alone would say he's worthy of our praise and our worship. He's so good. You know, when, when I wash dishes, um, sometimes the whole thing isn't clean. Trying to train the kids. Lori and I train the kids how to wash dishes. And you look at what's been washed and you think, oh, missed a spot, missed a couple spots. Let's rewash. Didn't quite wash it. It's hard for us just to wash dishes. He washes souls clean from every tribe, nation, and tongue because he loves people and he cares about us. And there's no one else that can do that in your life. In the last one, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And you sit down when a work is completed. It is finished. Jesus, again, our sins are forgiven, ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father, and he's alive. What, what do we do with all this information about the greatness of Jesus? It becomes clear how good he is, that he's superior, that we don't want to have people as idols in our lives. But he's superior and he's worthy. He's worthy of our affection, of our attention, of our devotion, of our time, and our talents, and our treasure, and our passion, and our dreams. He's worthy of it all. 
And, and you say, well, why is all this talk about angels? Because we don't usually sit down at Starbucks and talk about who's greater, Jesus or angels. You probably didn't have that conversation. But I'll tell you, in the culture, here, the Jewish culture, angels were elevated. Michael is a powerful archangel in the Bible. Sometimes Michael was seen as a supreme figure. And people were genuinely wondering, like people have a lot of questions today about God and about Jesus and supremacy. Well, back then it was the angels and the angels out of this world, like amazing, they have power. But then Jesus, and how do you sort through this? So that's why the specific conversation about angels, look at verse 14. What an insight here about angels. Verse 14, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? So angels are not the creators. Angels are created. They're beings. They're created by God, and they have specific purposes. Now, when you think about the purpose of an angel, one is that angels serve and help people. A second is that angels protect in the Bible. You, God has sent angels to protect you in ways you aren't even going to realize until heaven. There's miracles in this room that you're sitting here and angels have been sent to protect you. Now, the third one is that angels also bring judgment. They're not just soft and light and fluffy uh, in the Bible. Uh, they bring a strong judgment, actually. It's pretty intense. And then the fourth one is that angels proclaim and in the end times come more angels proclaiming. Sometimes people think someone's a person, it's actually an angel, but angels proclaim the goodness of God. Angels are designed to worship Jesus. Jesus doesn't worship angels. Angels worship Jesus. And the ones that rebelled and said, we're not gonna worship, you know what we call them? This is what their name is, demons. Demons roam the earth. They've rebelled. They don't want Jesus to be supreme. They roam the earth to steal, kill, and destroy. There's a spiritual realm that's invisible. Again, the invisible and the visible come together. What can we gain from all this? Here it is. Spiritual is first. Physical is second. We are such physically oriented beings that sometimes we just talk about and think about the physical and forget that it's spiritual first, physical second. Spiritually in the heavenlies, the angels didn't want to acknowledge and honor Jesus as supreme, so they rebelled, and there's all kinds of physical manifestations on the earth. In our lives, you know what's first in our lives? The spiritual. When you are close to Jesus, then it's going to play out in the physical realm, the way you work your job, the way you respond to people, your attitude. There's going to be things like kindness, peace, patience, goodness that's going to flow out in the physical realm, the words you say in the physical realm, but it all starts in the spiritual. So we learn from the angels. Let's worship the Lord. Jesus is supreme. Let's make the spiritual lives our priority. And then as we do that, God's going to bless in amazing ways. God's going to move. Jesus is above all. This is his revelation of his greatness, the superiority of Jesus above anything else in creation. And it leads to the throne of Jesus. And as we read these last couple verses, I want you to think about approaching, approaching God's throne. Hebrews chapter one, verse seven. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire. But about the son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. 
Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. When you think about the throne of Jesus, we see angels worshiping at this throne. And as the angels worship, two elements that stand out from those verses. Did you catch it? There's wind and there's fire. The angels are worshiping Jesus and then there's wind and there's fire. Now in the Bible, when the church, the people of God, had a mission and they were waiting for the Holy Spirit, it's called Pentecost, in this birth of the church, there was wind, a blowing of a wind, like a violent wind, a strong wind, and there was fire, like flames of fire, the Holy Spirit came. And just as the angels worship and there's wind and there's fire, when we worship Jesus, you know what happens? Wind blows. Wind is a metaphor of the Holy Spirit. When you start to praise God and worship God and not just watch it and critique it or watch someone else worship, but when you enter in and worship and praise God, the wind of God blows and the Spirit starts to move. And the Spirit starts to move you. And then there's a fire and Jesus starts to baptize with fire. When you worship Jesus and you draw close to Jesus, there's a fire in your soul that can't be put out by any circumstances or naysayers or critics, but there's a fire in your soul that blazes. And we'll know the church is alive as God moves and there's a fire in our eyes and in our soul because we've drawn near to Jesus. You know what they said about the early church? Look, they're ordinary, but they've got courage because they've been with Jesus. And when you've been with Jesus, the wind of God blows. The fire of God is in your soul. It's true for the angels, it's true for us, so we come to his throne. Paul and Faith, with what they went through, what they went through with COVID on the brain, the full experience of COVID all over the brain, when the doctors say 24 or 48 hours, Paul wasn't even aware, but he just started talking about Jesus. Don't you kind of want that for yourself? Like if you ever had to be in that situation where you started to speak and you couldn't even choose your words, you just started to speak out of what's inside of you, wouldn't it be pretty awesome if what's inside of you was just Jesus? I mean, there's a lot of other embarrassing things that could come out and thoughts we have and all this and stories, but what came out for him was just Jesus. And the doctors and nurses heard that and now 30 people later coming to know Jesus? Wow, but his soul was already on fire. He didn't think, oh, okay, let's see, there's a challenge coming, I better get my soul on fire. No, he was just loving Jesus and it just came out. There's an overflow when you abide with Jesus. And what I like about their story is for Paul and Faith, it didn't just happen like this, but you know, they're very musically gifted and they've served here at Grace. And uh, when I think about them in their community teaching piano, and, and that's what they would do, teach piano. And over the years, it was through piano that they built relationships. Now, we're building relationships all the time. Your favorite movies, your book club, your sports, your hobbies, your neighbors, you build these relationships. Well, piano, yes, it was great to teach piano, but more than that, it's the relationships and it's loving neighbors through teaching piano. And what they said is over the decades of teaching piano, they've seen dozens of people, including students and their families, come to know Jesus. So what happened during COVID was just kind of an acceleration of the way they've been living their whole lives. And what a beautiful picture 
of uh, loving Jesus and then in an authentic, humble way, just sharing Jesus as well. God's throne, the three words here, I think of eternal. God, Jesus' throne is forever and forever. There's a lot of people who like to rise up and say, nope, it's only going to last for 10 years and then we're going to have someone else besides Jesus on the throne. I'm sorry, but Jesus is staying on the throne forever. This is an eternal forever throne. And it's in righteousness. It says God hates the wickedness. There's a purity in his throne. And then there's abundant joy. There's the oil of joy. There is the joy of the Lord around this throne. Isn't that, can you picture this throne? It's forever pure joy in the presence of the Lord. Don't we want to go there? What would it be like to be invited there? You know, last night we went to the Tacoma Stars indoor soccer game. Uh, there's a league here and someone here at Grace plays on the team. Uh, we got to go and one of my kids got to play in the halftime game. It was just a fun night and it brought back some memories for me because as a really small child, I in Minnesota would go to the Minnesota Strikers indoor soccer games. And I remember as a little kid just looking up to those players and looking at that field and there was a goalie, Tino Letteri, and he had a little stuffed animal parrot he'd put in the goal and I was just like, Wow, I was a young goalkeeper and I had a little soccer idolatry going, I'll admit that. But if you said to me as a little kid, the strikers want to have you on the field, I would have just been like, what, are you kidding me? Like they want me on the field? And then the gates would open and they would say, you can enter. And as a child, to walk onto that field would have been like my ultimate, right? Well, you might have some similar feelings when you think of the throne of God and being invited to come close to Jesus. Like, gates are open? Me? God wants me to be close to him? God wants to be closer to you than you've ever experienced before. And the only way to do it is to walk yourself by his grace, approach his throne, and the nearness to Jesus. In fact, maybe you've been distracted. Maybe you've been intimidated. Maybe you just carry a lot of guilt and shame. Could that come off today? And then you approach Jesus in a fresh way. That you come to his throne, knowing that you're loved and invited, and this is a throne of grace. I want to look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. And, and this is what Hebrews 4, 16 says. Let us then approach God's throne, what is surrounding God's throne? It's grace, grace. And how are we gonna approach the throne? Really timid? With what? Confidence. Is the confidence in our own righteousness? No, the confidence is in Jesus, his greatness, and his grace. So we're gonna approach not timidly, but because of his power and his love, we're gonna approach with confidence that we may receive mercy and we need finding grace to help us in times like 2021. To help us in times of need. Where are we gonna go? Isn't that what everyone's asking? Where are we gonna go? to the medical experts, to the government. Like, where are we gonna go? We just gonna go to the bottle? We gonna go to just more food, more comfort food? Like, where are we gonna go? Where are we gonna go right now in America? We're gonna go to the throne of grace to find help in our time of need. And the take home is let the glory of Jesus fill your soul 
and fuel your service. Maybe your service has gotten a little tainted with wanting accolades and attention and acknowledgement. And maybe it's not as pure as it used to be in terms of what's fueling your service. Maybe it's changed and it's not really the greatness and grace of Jesus that's fueling your service. Let God renew, renew motives today and then fill our souls. The people who received this letter, this is what was rising. Their doubts were rising. Persecution was rising. Fear was rising. We don't live in this today in Seattle. Now, now I know it's a little more intense here than the Bible Belt. In the Bible Belt, everyone says, well, where do you go to church? They just assume you go, right? Here, it's like, I don't know, less than 5% in Auburn. So it's a little different. In the Bible Belt, it's like, oh, positive if you go to church. Oh, you're a Christian? That's positive. Or maybe you make some business connections at church in the Bible Belt. Here, it's a different scene. And the persecution, although not physical, the persecution's increasing. So we might be tempted to shrink back. But I'll tell you, as they received this letter, there were people, friends and family that were being killed for their faith. Wouldn't you see that maybe they would think, let's just maybe get a little more silent about our faith. Let's just shrink back. Let's let someone else live for Jesus. I mean, maybe that other church over there could do it instead of us right here. And all these things were increasing. Persecution was increasing. False teaching was increasing. People started going back to their old ways. That was increasing. People were drifting, not being part of the community of faith. That was increasing. And that's who received this letter. So they felt a little depleted, a little discouraged, sometimes divided. And and what did they need? They needed to see the greatness of Jesus again. They needed to see the greatness of Jesus again. So they wouldn't magnify their challenges. They wouldn't deny their challenges, but their challenges would stay in their proper place and there'd be a hope greater than their challenges. And their challenges wouldn't define them. They wouldn't talk about their challenges constantly. They would have a fresh vision for Jesus and a fresh blowing from the Holy Spirit, a fresh wind and a fresh fire. And I believe that the church in America is being tested and sifted right now. And if we don't go to the throne of grace, if we don't make it about the presence of God, we're not gonna have a fire. We're not gonna have a love. We're not gonna have a passion because we've drifted and it's time to return to a vision of the greatness of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we come to your throne of grace to receive your mercy in times of need. And Father, forgive us for just trying to pretend like we're self-sufficient, like we have it all and know it all. Jesus, forgive us for making an image of you that's not really who you are and making up things that are not really what you say. Father, change our hearts, change our lives, our relationships today. Thank you that you lift our heads and you say, lift your eyes to know where your help comes from. God, I pray for anyone here today who doesn't know you to start a relationship with you, Jesus, as Lord and Savior. Your kingdom is forever, it's good, it's full of joy, it's full of peace. You're the Prince of Peace. God, how can we honor you for what you've done for us? Is it baptism in water? Is it time in your word or prayer? Is it loving people? Is it a song to sing to you, God? Is it to love our neighbors? Is it to love the nations? Is it to share the gospel? 
more than we ever have. What is it, Lord? What do you want? Jesus, we praise you. You are superior to all our idols, to all the politics and the preferences. All our possessions mean just almost nothing. Your greatness, we praise you. We draw near. You're the King of kings, the Lord of lords. No one will ever change this, Jesus. We worship you in this place. We're thankful for your presence. We worship you for who you are. And we pray in your name, Lord.